Will you bow your heads with me and let's pray to the thrice holy God. God, thank you this morning for the honor to be able to be here and to worship you. Uh, Thank you for the privilege of being called your children. And I pray now as we think holy and high and good thoughts about you, uh, that you would reveal yourself to us through your word, that we would be motivated to adore you and worship you forever and to follow after you as exampled by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to be back here with you this morning. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. How many of you went out and walked an extra five miles after Thursday? How many of you should have gone out and walked an extra five miles? All right. Well, it's good to have you here. I I hope you found lots of reasons to be thankful. We should be thankful all the time, but it's interesting that Thanksgiving once a year is a reminder of all the ways that we should be grateful. And so I'm grateful to be here with you this morning, and I hope you have your Bibles with you. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 11. We're just going to cover a few verses this morning. Uh, just a few. Uh, and so I want you to follow along as I read, starting in verse 33 and then down through verse 36. Here's what Luke records in my Bible. These are all read. Jesus is speaking here. And this is what Jesus says. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. I love how Pastor Ligon Duncan ends each reading of God's word. And so I want to end the way he ends this morning. He says this, Amen. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. Well, at this point in Luke's gospel, if you've been with us over the last while, you know that Christ's enemies have been on the attack. They have been slandering him. Uh, Just a few verses back, if you glance up into chapter 11, you'll see that they lobbed an accusation against him, saying, uh, this man casts out demons by the power of Beelzebul, uh, the prince of demons. Uh, So they're calling him satanic or demonic. Um, They're also demanding a sign from him. They want him to prove himself who he claimed to be. But no matter what Jesus does and all throughout his ministry, there are a handful of people who refuse to believe in Jesus. And all of their talk and all of their accusations really amount to this. It is your fault, Jesus, that we don't believe in you. If you would just tell us who you really are, If you would just do this sign for us, then we would believe you. If you would do this or if you would do that, then we would believe you. But that's not really the case, is it? It's not Jesus who's at fault here. It's his enemies who are to blame because the light of Christ is shining. The problem is they are obstructing it. The father sent his son into the world 
to be its light, but the people in the world are turning their back on it. There's nothing hidden about Jesus. Everything he does is in the open, it's in the public. He does miracles in the public. He, does, he speaks in public. He obeys in public. He is the perfect light. In fact, in John 8, verse 12, Jesus refers to himself as a light. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. If anybody has a problem seeing the light, the problem lies with the person not with Jesus. And that's what Jesus is now going to explain uh, in this little section. It's not enough that his light is shining externally, but that light has to enter life into the person before it can do any good. How many of you in here have ever experienced cave darkness? You know what that is? Okay, well, there's no light uh, at all. You can put your hand in front of your face uh, here. It can be a bit unnerving if you've ever been in that type of situation. We were back visiting in Indiana a couple years ago, and my family went and we explored this this giant cave, um, and there's about a one-mile hike uh, through this cave. And at about the midpoint... Uh, the tour guide uh, could turn off all the lights, including her flashlight. And so we experienced, for what felt like a really long time, a total cave darkness, completely, utterly black. I was really excited when she flipped the switch back on and the bulbs came on. And when the bulbs came on, your eyes immediately look at the lights. Because that's what lights are designed to do. They, they draw your attention to them and then the light bounces off of everything else and you can begin to see everything else around you, right? Jesus is trying to describe to his listeners here, I am that kind of a light. I am the lamp. Look at verse 33. He says, no one after lighting a lamp, he's talking about himself there, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Now, if you're not super familiar with the customs of this time, of course, when Jesus is speaking here, there's no electricity. He can't flip a switch like we do. Uh, Instead, there was a, a bowl, a little bowl of oil, and laid in that bowl was a wick. And they would light the end of the one wick. And then, of course, it would draw up the oil uh, and it would be burning. And they would take that lamp then and they would sit it in the center of the room on what was called a lamp stand, right? So the whole room is illuminated. It would be utterly foolish to light the lamp, sit it there, and then put a basket over top of it. Or to light the lamp and then carry it down into the cellar and, and put the lamp in there. Why would that be foolish? Well, it would be foolish because you can't see anything, right? Everything is is still dark. That's the whole point of the lamp, to be able to see. And so Jesus is saying to his critics here, I am the light of the whole world. I have come to shine my light into the darkness to save you from your sin. But instead of allowing my light to shine into your hearts and into the hearts of others, you are, figuratively, putting a basket over top of it. 
You're obscuring my light. You're trying to put it as far away from you as you can so that it becomes useless. Well, how are they doing this? What does it mean? Obviously, they're not taking a literal basket. So how are they obscuring the light of Jesus Christ? Well, they would do it most commonly by encouraging people to ignore the commands of God or build all kinds of other commands around it. You remember that Jesus lived in perfect obedience to God. There was never sin in Jesus Christ. And he made a way for others to do the same. He shone his light so that other people could know how to follow him as he obeyed God. But the scribes and the Pharisees, they would circumvent that. Let me give you two examples from Scripture so you can see how the light was obscured. One of the Ten Commandments if you remember them from Exodus 20, reads, honor your father and your mother. That goes on a little bit beyond that, but honor your father and your mother. There's another command a little bit later in Exodus that says, whoever curses or reviles his father or mother shall be put to death. Okay, so if you take those two commandments and you put them together, obedience as a child means I honor my father and my mother. I don't revile them. I don't curse them. And surely that would mean part of the honoring is I honor them all the way through their lives into their later years. But what were the Pharisees doing? Well, the Pharisees would take all of their money that they were supposed to use to care for their family and they would go to the temple and they would make this big show about how much money they're giving at the temple. Because, of course, they're looking for the accolades of the people. They wanted to be noticed for how generous they were and how honorable and noble and holy. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 15. Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say... If anyone tells his father or mother, "Eh, what you would have gained from me is given to God, then he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. The Pharisees were disobeying the law. Jesus comes along as light to expose that darkness And they are trying to get rid of the light. We don't want you, Jesus, doing that and saying that here. They're covering him up, if you will, with a basket. Here's another example, and we'll look at this one a lot closer when we get in later into chapter 11. But in Matthew 23, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out the gnat and swallowing a camel. When Jesus came, he taught justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And what did the Pharisees do? What do they say? Get that out of here. We don't want to talk about that. 
We just want to talk about how to divide up our spices, right? They're trying to push the light of Jesus Christ down in the cellar. We don't want to hear about it. They were okay with keeping people in the darkness because they themselves were content in the darkness. Do you understand? The problem here is not with Jesus. The problem here is with the people. So Jesus makes this little analogy to illustrate his point. In this next verse now, he turns the attention away from himself and he turns the attention to the intended recipients of his light. Look at verse 34 again. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. And what does that mean? We'll start with that first phrase. Your eye is the lamp of your body. Your eye, what you're using this morning, is the mechanism by which light enters into your brain. When your eye is in good condition, the light enters your body, and now the rest of your body knows exactly what to do. Your foot knows where to step because it can see it. Your hand knows how far to reach out to grab the cup. If your eye is healthy, your body knows what to do. The opposite is true if your eyes do not function properly. That person will be groping in the dark. I have a, a pastor friend, Kevin, back in Indiana, and, and he is he's legally blind. And when there is no bright light in the room... He has to walk very, very slowly. He puts one foot kind of out in front of the other just to make sure that there's nothing there that he's going to tumble over, right? When he reaches his hand out, he's not exactly sure where to put it. I remember one time I was, well, I was supposed to be helping him. I was walking alongside of him and I saw this board in front of us. I ducked down and just kept walking and he just bam right into it. I could see it because my eyes worked. Right? He couldn't. And so this obstacle hit him right in the head. What is Jesus' point here in this verse? His point is this. When your eye is healthy, and by the way, that word healthy means singular, sound. When, when your eye is healthy, its singular focus is on the light and it can see clear. Therefore, your body knows how to function and how to operate. So in a spiritual sense, what Jesus is saying here is, if your inner disposition is right, if the eye of your heart is single-mindedly receptive to the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then your entire personality will be illumined. You will, if you possess God, the knowledge of God, through the light of Jesus Christ, then you will experience a peace of mind that surpasses all understanding. You will be able to thank the Lord for joy unspeakable and glory divine. On the contrary, if your heart is not right with God, you are in a place where your regrettable condition 
will affect your entire personality. Instead of spiritual progression, you will suffer from spiritual deterioration. When your trust is in Jesus Christ, your eyes are open, the light shines in, and you become a child of light. The important thing for you is that you take advantage of that light and keep that single outlook of faith. Your eyes are on Jesus and only on Jesus. If you try to keep one eye on Jesus and one eye out here in the world, that light will eventually become darkness. John warns of this danger. In 1 John chapter 2, we read this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Let me give you three men from the pages of Scripture who tried to keep one eye on God and one eye on the world. They began in the light and they ended up in the darkness because they were not singularly focused on the light. The first one, the first example, is a judge named Samson. Most of you probably know about Samson because you know of him because of his great strength. And of course, his strength... Uh, resided in his hair. That was the, the symbol of where his strength came from. Uh, of course, it came ultimately from God. And Samson was this national hero because uh, he, he judged and he, he fought for his people. But at the end of his life, or well, actually at the end of his life, uh, he was also a hero because he single-handedly killed hundreds of Philistines by collapsing a, a building uh, on their party. The name Samson means like the sun or sunshine. But Samson's life was anything but sunny. Samson struggled. He struggled with the desires of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh. Samson loved the women. And one of the women that he loved, a lady named Delilah, became the impetus for his undoing. She eventually convinced him to tell the secret of his great strength. And when he did, she was able to have all of his hair chopped off and Samson lost his strength for a time. And while Samson's name means sunny, the end of his life was spent as a blind slave grinding out mill in the prison. He tried to look at God But he also followed after his own lusts, and it was his downfall. His eyes were bad, spiritually, and literally, in his case. The second guy, second example, uh, is a guy named Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew, and Lot was Abraham's co-pilgrim. Eventually, as Abraham and Lot grew and their flocks and their families grew, they, they, got, they became too large 
uh, to remain together. So the herdsmen started fighting each other and they decided to split up and go their own separate ways. And so Abraham offered Lot the first choice of the land. Genesis 13 records Lot's pick. Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other. That unfortunate choice was the result of Lot's lust of the eyes. What First John told us about. Lot ended up being present in the city of Sodom when the Lord came to destroy it. And at the last second, two angels literally grab Lot and his family and drag them out of the city before God rains down fire and sulfur. And if you know the story, as they're heading out of the city, Lot's wife looks back when she was told not to, so she dies. And do you remember what happened to Lot? He ends up drunk in a dark cave and commits incest with his daughters. He took his eyes off of God and he put it on the world. His eyes became bad and he suffered for it. The last guy that we can use as an example from scripture happens to be the first king crowned in the nation of Israel. A guy named Saul. King Saul started his reign as a humble leader. But as his monarch continued, he became a proud man. His sin was the pride of life. That was the other one that John mentioned. And it led him away from the light of God's commands to the house of a witch one night. This witch or medium summoned up the soul of Samuel. A very, very ungodly thing to do. And Samuel spoke this judgment against Saul in 1 Samuel 28. The Lord has done to you as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Saul ended his life by committing suicide on the battlefield. Luke 11.33 holds true. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Let me ask you a question. Where are you trying to keep one eye on the Lord and yet one eye remains out here on the world? Where are you being double-minded? Where is your focus diverted away from a singular focus, a healthy focus on Christ, and instead it's it's going in these directions and it's bringing darkness into your life? I want to warn you, Many times that glancing away and that double-minded focus 
is a slow fade. That darkness comes in slowly. There's a Christian song. This came out back in 2007 uh, from a group named Cast and Crowns. You might remember the song. That's what it was titled, Slow Fade. And the lyrics, the one lyric from the song goes like this. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. And that song ends with this familiar jingle. If you grew up in church, you learned this when you were a kid. It says, oh, be careful little eyes what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down on you with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Let me ask you, is there a slow fade happening in your life? Is there a secret sin that you're harboring that's slowly but surely making your life Darker and darker. Is there something that you're unwilling to confess because you're afraid of the shame or the the guilt or the consequences? Brother, sister, let me warn you, that darkness won't go away until you bring it to the light. It will keep encroaching on you. But here's the good news. Your Savior knows and he loves you. He died for you. And the light of Jesus Christ stands ready to shine in that dark place and to bring hope and to bring joy and to bring forgiveness and to bring an unhindered relationship. You just need to confess it. You just need to repent. I want your eyes to be healthy. I want your eyes to have a singular devotion to Jesus Christ. Will you come to him and tell him? Jesus issues a stern warning to the Pharisees and to us by extension in verse 35. He says, therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Every one of us sitting in this room this morning is controlled either by light or by darkness. The frightening thing is, is that some people think they are following the light when in fact they are following the darkness. So what do you mean? Well, the Pharisees thought they were following the light. But how did they live? They lived in darkness. So how do you know if you're controlled by the light or if you're controlled by the darkness? It's pretty simple. You look at the fruit of your life. What are you producing? What is your heart producing? Are you obedient to the commands of Scripture? Are you producing the fruit of the Spirit? Are you finding your delight and your desires in the things of Jesus? Or when you look at Jesus, is that just unattractive to you? You have to ask yourself this question. Has the light of the gospel of Jesus brought about a genuine, deep, inner change in my heart and life. Do I truly love God? Do I desire God? Do I love my neighbor? 
Is the work of the Spirit evident in your, in your life? And if you don't know, if you're not sure, ask a trusted friend and then let them be honest with you. Let them tell you. Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, the one who corrects you out of love and concern. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Why? Because they have a hidden agenda. Trust me. It hurts to be told the truth sometimes. It hurts. But that faithful friend is doing it because he or she loves you and doesn't want you to be stuck in darkness. Will you listen to them? Verse 36 then says, If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. If you have healthy eyes, focused on Jesus Christ, the light and the truth of Jesus will transform your entire life. Your whole body, he says, is full of light. Your life will shine with the beauty of Jesus. In Matthew 5, Jesus says in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is heaven in heaven. How do you get there? How do you get to the place where your life is consumed by Jesus? How do you get to the point where Jesus has lit up your entire life with his spectacular radiance? I would argue that it comes through one primary source, Spending time with Jesus in his word. Spending time with him. This is God's love letter to you. This is how he instructs you. This is how he tells you. The more you invest here, the more you put into practice what you're reading here, the brighter and brighter your light will shine. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for four things, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be slightly able, no, that he may be complete, equipped for every good work. Peter urges the same thing. He says, dig into the inspired word. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he says, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Where are you going to get that? You get that from his word. To him be the glory, both now and unto the day of eternity. Amen. Friend, there has never been a better time than November 20, what are we, 6? November 26, 2023. Is that the date? 29th. What is the date? 26. I should have went with my gut. November 26. There's never been a better time to begin reading, studying, memorizing, meditating on God's word. I hope one of the things that you were thankful for this week is that you are able to own and read and understand a copy of God's word. Not everybody in our world has that privilege. You and I probably have... Ten Bibles at home, in the shelf. We have it all over. But it is the word, the word, Jesus, the word 
revealed through scripture that brings light to your soul. The Puritan John Flavel once said, when the word of God is engrafted into the soul and hath a commanding power and influence over the whole man, it shines like a light in a dark place. 300 years later, a student of the Puritans, R.C. Sproul, commented, the light of Christ dispels the darkness of sin. It brings clarity where there was confusion and understanding where there was ignorance. The light of Christ revealed to you in his word is why it's so important for you to be there. That's how you grow. That's how the light shines brighter and brighter. I want to finish this morning by quoting once again from Pastor Ligon Duncan. I've learned a lot from him. Here's how he commented on this text that we studied this morning. He says this, quote, Do you have sight to see Jesus? Do you have sight to see the gospel? Have your eyes been opened to understand that he is the only way of salvation and to believe on him and to treasure him more than anything else in this world? Does your sight show you that there's nothing in this life as precious as he is, that there's nothing in this life that can give you satisfaction like he can, that there's nothing even close. Do you have that sight? Jesus is challenging his generation with that message. He's challenging you and me with that message. This is huge. He goes on to say, Jesus is saying, don't play games with God. Make sure your eyes see Jesus and the gospel because it's by that light and that light alone that your body is enlightened. Otherwise, there will be nothing but darkness in you because apart from me, Jesus says, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins and your eyes are blind. End quote. Jesus died for you. He paid a price for your sin. He rose again. That was the greatest sign of his Messiahship. The question is, are your eyes healthy? Are they on him? Do you believe in him? And then do you allow his light to shine into your life, transforming you from the inside out? Don't take that light and hide it under a basket. Don't take that light and confine it to your cellar. Let the light of Jesus Christ penetrate in your heart, in your mind, in such a way that all of those dark places that you might still be harboring are eventually exposed to that light. Jesus loves you. And he wants his light to shine through you. He gave his life for that. Come to him today. Will you stand with me? And let's pray and finish for this morning. God, I'm so thankful that you sent your son Jesus to be the light of the world. And yet men like to stay in the darkness. They hide. They, 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 they run away from the light. They try to cover up the light. They try to push it off into some obscure place. May we never be that way. Father, I pray that every person in this room would come to the light of Jesus Christ in the truth of his gospel, confess their sins, believe on him, and then stay focused on that light. Let that light shine into our lives so that we...
become like Jesus Christ. Father, we need your help. Thank you for your word. And I pray that as we invest in your word, uh, that you would take the spirit who wrote the word uh, and, and help us to live in obedience to the word, just like our older brother, Jesus Christ. And I pray that as we look back over our lives, we'll see how the light has transformed us, continues to transform us, until we can meet the light face to face. Until that time, we give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. It's in Jesus' name I pray.